0: Let's pray. Father God, may my spoken words accurately reflect your written word and point others towards the word made flesh. Jesus Christ and the good news He came to bring. Amen. A while back, Jules and I were in a chat with a financial advisor about how to get a bit more out of our savings. And the advisor discussed a range of options that he thought might be suitable. It depended on things like how much we had. How quickly we might need access to it. How long we planned to keep it with them. What kind of risk were we prepared to accept? Our ages, even. It all seemed quite detailed. But then he made an interesting analogy. He told us that all the products he was offering were essentially, and this was his word, wrappers. As I understood it, and I'm not a financial advisor, so this may be completely inaccurate. Once we had decided the level of mix of risk and return, whatever product we chose, they would largely be doing the same thing with our money. Oh, yeah, the returns might be different, but that had more to do with the tax man than the markets. There were some that were more suitable for some seasons of life than others. But basically, whichever rapper we chose, they would still be doing the same thing with whatever money we placed with them. It struck me that, in some ways, that's how people view faiths, religions and the like. We might call them different names with different rituals and practices. Depending on our circumstances or accident of birth or whatever, some may seem more suitable to us, more plausible to us than others. But basically, if you dig below the surface, they will all still be doing the same thing. And when I've done stuff in schools, One of the most frequently asked questions is, do people not all worship the same God at the end of the day? In other words, isn't all that religion stuff just rappers? Different people in different seasons and different places might find different rappers helpful. But it's really all just the same stuff inside, isn't it? When I'm asked that question, I always talk about my friend Tracy. Say you and I were to get chatting, and over the course of our conversation, we discover that we both have a friend called Tracy. My friend Tracy is a married vegetarian who loves knitting. Yours is a teacher who supports spurs and relaxes by listening to Tchaikovsky. Are we talking about the same person? Well actually so far we might well be. There is no reason your Tchaikovsky loving Spurs fan teacher couldn't also be a a married vegetarian who loves knitting. But if you told me your friend Tracy was a single lady who hated anything crafty, and like nothing more than a good steak, well we wouldn't assume we were talking about the same person just because they had the same name, would we? So before I answer I would say, tell me about your God. What is your God like? But before I go on, Let me say, that question is just as relevant if, to keep the analogy going, the rapper is the same, as if it's different. Never mind comparing Buddhism, Islam, Christianity. John Wesley and John Calvin were both highly respected Christian theologians. And yet Wesley once described the God of Calvinism as more false, more cruel, and more unjust than Satan. And there are some descriptions of God, even offered by some of the best-selling Christian writers in our age, that just leave me cold. Some of the difference is shaped by our culture perhaps more than we realise or care to admit. We Brits sometimes look across the Atlantic at American brothers and sisters and wonder how, say, they could possibly have supported Donald Trump. Well, the God we worship is not well, ship by the culture in which we raised. And the God preached in America He's quite hot on freedom, individual responsibility and capitalism. Over here, he's a greater disposition towards tolerance and fairness, very British values. And if you go to China, honor and harmony my things have gone really bad. It's been said that God made us in our image and we have returned the favour. Or as the writer Bradley Jertzak puts it, the highest moral values of any given people get stamped into their image of God, are reinforced by their worship and downloaded back into the people. I don't even have to look across faith or continence or even across the room. As I look over my life, my own understanding of God has shifted massively over time. And if you were to come back to me in 10 years' time, I suspect that same might be true again. I kind of hope it is. And I pray it's all for the better. But I suppose it all begs a couple of questions. Firstly, does it matter? I'd say yes, but maybe not for the reason most people expect. For we become like what we worship. In time, what we worship will shape us. If your God is harsh, judgmental, easily angered, we can easily justify those traits appearing in ourselves. And you'll wind up a quite different person to the one who truly finds God a gracious, loving, forgiving Father. The other question is, but can we know anything about God Anyway, who's to say you're right and I'm wrong or vice versa? Well, the Christian view is that God not only can be known but wants to be known. We are created for relationship with a God who has been reaching out to us down through the ages. As the opening of Hebrews says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and in various ways. Where do we discover the God who wants to be known? Well, in the first instance, we might say the Bible, and in one sense, totally right. But it's not straightforward. Because that might not yield as clear an answer as you think. The Bible contains many contrasting images. It's a big book. You can find a lot of stuff in there if you want to find it. And if you want the God of war, you'll find him in the pages of the Bible. If you want a God of peace, you'll be right there too. If you want a God for all people, you'll find God in that Bible. If you want a God who picks sides... He's right there too. The writer Brian Zahn says the Bible can sometimes be a bit like a psychological Rorschach test where you know you look at the patterns and ink blots and on a page and you say what you see. He says it can sometimes reveal more about us than it does about God. But The writer of Hebrews didn't stop where I just did. And nor did God. Let's read on. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Or the letter of Colossians puts it in quite similar ways. The sun is the image of the invisible God. But God was pleased to have for all his fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the decisive revelation of God. Jesus alone is perfect theology. God's ultimate message It's not contained within a book. It was enfleshed in a human being. In Jesus of Nazareth. And it's there in the words of Jesus himself. On the night of his arrest, one of his disciples, Philip, said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus effectively responds, What do you mean, show us the Father? What do you think I've been doing all this time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Or there was another day, told in each of the first three Gospels, when Jesus took three of his closest disciples up a mountain. Whilst they were there, the Gospels say Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could have bleached them. And Elijah and Moses appeared with him, and were talking with Jesus. Peter, one of the disciples who was there that day, said, Rabbi, it was great that we were here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then a cloud covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, and it said, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. I've always thought that Peter's mistake was that he was trying to capture and keep the moment, like he wanted to go on and on and not have to go back down the mountain that he wanted to extend their audience with Moses and Elijah and maybe there is a bit of that maybe he did, who could blame him but it's not the key point the mistake he was making was to try to make Jesus like Moses and Elijah like they were all on a power, all on a level when they weren't. Because Jesus was way more important. Elijah and Moses represent the law and the prophets or what Jews would have called their scriptures. Jesus was the one that they had been pointing to all along. Jesus was the one that the law and the prophets had been trying so hard to describe but could never really put into words. Down through the ages, in various ways, God had been trying to reveal himself to us. But God couldn't say, all that he wanted to within the pages of a book so instead he wrapped his message in human flesh and became one of us and that's why jesus can say that he's come not to destroy the law and the prophets but to fulfill them and yet, at the same time, over and over, he says, You've heard it said, but I say unto you. The scriptures can guide us along the road to the kind of God that we have. But only Jesus fully reveals it. And that's why, through Ida's ministry, Jesus was so misunderstood, even by those closest to him. It's why Jesus has to tell the disciples not to mention anything about what they'd seen in the mountain until after he was raised from the dead. For whilst the law and the prophets tried to offer a glimpse of what God was like and how he planned to redeem his world, it was never quite enough. It needed to be seen, to be understood. It needed to be enacted. It needed to be embodied or enfleshed. So that voice comes from the cloud and says, this is my son, listen to him. You see, if they were all in a power, you could have used the law to challenge Jesus or take the word of a prophet and say, ah, but Jesus, what about this? Now, that option is closed down. They were being told if your Bible appears to be in conflict with Jesus, Jesus takes precedence. And that's the same for us. If our God is not like Jesus, if the God we think we're encountering in the pages of the Bible, is in any way not like Jesus then we need to go back to the Bible and seek fresh understanding for yes the scriptures point to God but only Jesus is the exact image of God as Paul told his young apprentice Timothy yes all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. But it's only in Jesus that the fullness of God dwells. Only Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus and God will always be like Jesus so what if we take seriously what Jesus means when he says if we've seen him we've seen the father What if we take seriously that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of God? What if we take seriously that all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus? well, that's what we're going to be thinking about over the next few weeks. How might understanding that God is like Jesus challenge the ways we view God and the way we seek to follow him in the world? And there is really no better place to begin than at the communion table. For if the decisive revelation of God is Jesus, the clearest depiction of who God is can be found at this table and the events that it represents. His body broken and blood poured out for the world. A God who saves the world, not with overwhelming force, but by overcoming love. In the Gospels we read how Jesus died, and the curtain in the temple which kept God hidden from the people ripped in two from top to bottom. starts at the top, for the initiative comes from God. But what did it reveal? A suffering servant on a cross crying Father forgive. Jesus didn't come to enable God to love us. Jesus came to reveal God as love. Jesus didn't come to reconcile God to us but to bring us back to God. God is a God who would rather go through the agony and torment of the cross than leave us estranged from him. For the one true living God created us in love, for love, to live in a relationship of love with him. He wants to be known. Over the last year, we have had to be a bit more creative about the ways we stay in touch. But the reality is, we know it's not really the same as actually being there, in the flesh. Well, God wasn't content to remain within the pages of a book. He could never be fully revealed there. So he took on flesh became one of us so that we could truly know what God is like, that God is like Jesus. Jesus didn't come to make us biblical, he came to make us Christ-like and here at this table is where we begin because you may have heard it said you are what you eat. Well, here we are invited to eat bread and remember a body that was broken. We're invited to drink wine and remember blood that was shed for us. And to remember that our God is a God of sacrificial love. Who triumphs through sacrificial love. And calls us to model that in our lives together. We'll unpack that more in the next few weeks. But for now we remember that God has revealed himself and he is like Jesus. He has always been like Jesus. He will always be like Jesus. So may you grow in that knowledge of that Christ-like God and may you discover more and more each day how christ-like he is and day by day may we become a more christ-like people grace and peace to you